1: When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around.
0: And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Thriving and reversing diabetes. (laughs) Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're
1: not doctors. We don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. Yep, We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Bring it on! (laughs) We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We share studies that we've found in the show notes.
0: You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Mm -hmm. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. No, it cannot. (laughs) So, So let's start podcast number 117. Professor Ken Sikaris demystifies cholesterol. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, Last week's show was
1: uh, number 116, Martin Sebus on strategic dissonance. Uh, no yeah. no apologies. So I think Martin did a wonderful job. It was a little bit technical uh, for people mm-hmm. who aren't into business management, but it was a fascinating interview. I really enjoyed it.
0: You know, the, the book Who Moved My Cheese mm. came to mind yes. when I looked at that. I mean, when the situation's underpinning your whole strategy for making money in the case of business right. or in the case of health, mm. you know, for treating patients changes, you know, you have to accept it and uh, it's hard. If you dig in, if you double down
1: on the old way of doing things, you're going to end up in a little cul-de-sac and yeah, the rest of the world's going to pass you by.
0: Yeah. And that's happening now as we speak. So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. A ketogenic diet is one where you don't eat sugar or starch. Right. You get all of your energy
1: from fat. Fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Delicious fat. Yeah. So, minimum amount of protein, just enough to maintain your body mass. Uh, you, we're not going to use protein for energy. We're not going to use carbs for energy, that sugar and starch. We're going to get all of our energy from fat, as we said.
0: Yep. That's it. 20 grams or less of carbohydrates a day, moderate protein, mm-hmm. one gram to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Yeah and fat for everything else. Yeah,
1: to satiety, that's the trick. You want to make sure that yeah. your body is telling you when it, when to stop fueling and when to start fueling up again. If you have no carbs, if you keep your carbohydrate intake to minimum as possible, then your body satiety signals all start to work accurately. It's wonderful, it really is.
0: It is wonderful, it really is. Yep. So how was your week, my
1: friend? Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I've in the process of getting ready for another chemistry exam, which is going to happen on Monday, uh, we're recording this on Sunday morning. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm really head down, bum up in the books, and uh, yep. it's good with chemistry that we actually have three exams over the semester, and so um, they're small, discrete components. But unfortunately, this one is all acid base equilibrium, and it's doing my head in. But I did learn something interesting the other day. We're doing quantum chemistry, and you know Whoa. you know the story about um, uh, that the makeup of atoms. Uh, atoms are a nucleus, and uh, uh, orbiting around the nucleus are these electrons. And you know the, yes. the the different atoms have different number of electrons orbiting around them. Well, yeah. they don't actually orbit. They they phase in and out from place to place without transitioning through various places. So they're literally yeah. phasing in and out and so, we have this idea of electrons sort of zipping around the nucleus, um, yeah. but they're only in those orbits for 90% of the time. Right. 10% of the time, they could be anywhere else in the universe.
0: Yeah, that's the whole quantum entanglement theory.
1: Well, actually, this is just the nature of electrons. Electrons are just a probability field, and hmm. electrons in my body right now- some of them could be uh, uh, watching uh, sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhäuser Gate, <laughs> or uh, watching uh, attack ships on fire on the shoulder of Orion. I, I get so, it. I get it. <laughs> so, so anyway, I found I found quantum uh, chemistry fascinating, and I think that's uh, a field I'm going to spend some time in. Other things that have happened this week, uh, we spoke last week of David Ludwig's study on type 1 diabetics. Yeah. Um, and, of course, all the endocrinologists are saying, oh, it's only a study of the opinions of people in a Facebook group who eat low-carb. And, of course, if you ask people in a Facebook group about low-carb diets, um, if they if they all eat low-carb and they all like what they're doing, of course, they're going to have great opinions. But. Mm. What they are missing is that the study actually spoke to the doctors and the labs uh, to confirm the diagnostic story of each of these individuals. And, you know, uh-huh. it's, impo- it's worth mentioning that this is, there is almost no population of type 1 diabetics that have such great glucose control. Uh, I mean, if you can show me another group of diabetics, another group of type one diabetics who have as good glucose control as the uh, members of the type one grit community, I uh, will be very mm. impressed. But um, you know, this yeah. is really it. It, it is a, a hypothesis generating activity. Uh, the study right. doesn't actually say anything about um, about causal effects of you know a low carb diet doesn't necessarily guarantee to cause this glucose stability, but, you know, it's it's certainly hypothesis generating and it demands uh, a properly controlled clinical trial to to test. Finally, the other thing that happened this week is that journalist Marianne DeMasi, we mentioned last week, uh, who I met up in Sydney, uh, she has just Mm. been vindicated. She did this article on statins, which uh, got Everybody uh, very upset, and she had trolls chasing her on Twitter, and she who were making her life a hell. And basically, she was having people putting in vexatious complaints about her original PhD thesis. And so, for wow. the past almost seven years now, she has been fighting people. Trying to um, cast aspersions on her PhD thesis, uh, saying that she um, fudged some of the data and and copied somebody else's results and and a bunch of other things. Well, she has just been vindicated this week, and um, it it has been shown. Now, what does
0: that mean? Did somebody reproduce her results as most scientists do?
1: No. What happened was that the University of South Australia, where she got her uh, accreditation, went back over her research and said what she did was was the the standard of the time and there was okay. absolutely no problem with uh, uh with what she did so um she's she essentially been vindicated but the problem is that she spent you know hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting this vexatious complaint um, sure. and it's just people who are upset because she gored their uh, their statin bull so you know yeah,
0: yeah, anyway
1: but yeah. it's good news for the low carb community
0: sure is so that was my week how was yours Really good. Uh, Last week, I was in Seattle for a Microsoft developer conference. Build is Mm -hmm. the name of it. Yeah. And I ate really well, except for one dinner Mm. at an Italian restaurant Mm. that I had to attend. And I had some of their homemade pasta and a small dessert. Now, I had ribeye, too. I mean, I ate the good stuff. I just had to... I sampled some carbs, right? So, as I had predicted from the last time I did this. The next morning, I felt fine and I wasn't hungry. Mm. Now, uh, so it makes me understand how some people can go completely off the keto diet after being fat adapted and stalling, you know? Right. You have this combination of a stall, you feel good and you sort of get cocky. Mm. And then, you know, you just try a little carbs and stuff and, well, that, that's, I don't feel too bad and maybe I'll have some more. And then they continue to cheat and... Before you know it, they're having the same old symptoms of, you know, painful swelling and edema and, and uh, all the carb cravings come back and all that stuff. Yeah. So I can sort of see how that happens. and uh, But for me, of course, I got right back on the bandwagon Good. the next morning with, wait for it, <laughs> bacon and bacon eggs. Bacon and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> nice. With extra butter. And, of course, I wasn't hungry all day until dinner and I was right back into it. It really, it was no big deal. So of course I paid for it on the scale but mostly with water weight. So anyway, I came home and immediately started a fast So two days ago I started with only heavy cream and a couple iced coffees mm-hmm.
1: That's your normal first day first fasting day, right?
0: right yeah I just you know I' uh, when I'm when I'm hungry and I've had proper electrolytes mm. uh, and you know it, and it doesn't and it lasts for more than five minutes then I have some heavy cream and it goes away yeah. So yesterday, I only did that once, mm-hmm. which was great, yeah. fasted all day, and uh, I'm down seven pounds in two days, right back where I was before all the, you know, everything else happened.
1: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, what before the shenanigans, <laughs> Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. But this is cool. I met a guy at Build who was actually working as a bartender, and I'm not going to um, tell everybody his name. He wanted to remain anonymous, mm. but he was like pushing the bar cart, and he came, <laughs> came to me and said, man, I listened to your your tech podcast and your keto podcast. And wow. based on what I learned from you and Jason Fung, I fasted for 60 days <gasps> and lost 80 pounds.
1: Yikes. 60,
0: 60 days, two months and lost 80 pounds. Wow. And he said, you know, the, the biggest problem was getting my electrolytes correct, mm. you know, taking way more salt than I thought I needed. Taking magnesium uh, on, you know, a a slow release or taking it multiple times during the day, and also potassium. He found that uh, he did some homework and found the toxicity level of potassium, and you really have to take a lot of potassium for your, you know, for your weight Mm. in order to have a problem with it. Right. So he did that research, and once he got his electrolytes right, fasting, he says, is the easiest thing in the world. Just, you know, he he finds starting over the most difficult thing so people who fast for two or three days and then stop and i remember jason saying that the most difficult fast is a two-day fast because you're just starting to get into the lack of hunger and the energy and all of that into the groove yeah right Mm. so this time i plan to fast for longer than i usually do okay cool Yep. I've got a new software project that's going to require mental acuity and focus, and Mm -hmm. there's nothing better than a fast for that. Yeah.
1: I would mention actually that the guy who fasted for the longest time that we know of is a guy by the name of Angus Barbieri, and he was supported by a hospital and took daily uh, electrolytic supplements. So that was the only right. thing he and had.
0: yeast. Yeah, and yeast, I think. But, he had a, he had a yeah. yeast something, I, yeah. Yeah, that's right, but, but a multivitamin essentially. Right,
1: but I think the yeast was for vitamin B1. Um, now, it's important to keep your electrolytes up. The reason why he is the last person that Guinness recon- recognized as the longest faster was a couple of people who tried for the record died. And so it's worth, and and Guinness said, right, that's it. We're not going to have, we're not going to have this category anymore. Uh, Right. And it's worth uh, making the point that uh, a 60 day fast is really quite extreme. Personally, I went for 10 days and after 10 days, I felt like I'd accomplished my goals uh, and Mm. I didn't feel quite right. And so I stopped my fast and and you really have to be in tune with your body to be able to, to do that kind of thing. I reckon if you're yep. going to go for more than more than you know four or five days, you really should um, have some medical support helping you.
0: Yes, that's right. Unfortunately, I do. Mm. I have a, a great doctor, Doctor Ken Berry is my doctor now. Yeah. And of course, you know we're friends with Jason, and mm-hmm. if I ever have any kinds of problems, it's they're just an email message away. So I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah. I'd- of course, you don't need to be personal friends with Jason and no. Megan to get their advice. They they uh, they answer questions all the time on the internet, on their Facebook groups. Uh, so they're they're just very great, accessible people. And
1: you can sign up for their coaching. They have a, a very reasonable coaching yes. program that. Uh, uh, some of our friends work for, and uh, it's a very reasonable um, support. Yep. And it's, it's probably a, a a good thing to do if you're going to be going for longer fasts to join some yeah. type of community like
0: that, yeah. Absolutely. It's intensivedietarymanagement.com. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that, so I'm doing this cooking show, right? Okay. Carl's Keto Kitchen on YouTube. Yeah. Didn't do it last week because I was in Seattle, but going forward, I'm going to do a series on sauces. Nice. Starting this week with a Burmonte. Mm, very good.
1: Yeah. So that's gonna be the recipe for this week, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: not just the sauce, of course. I'm gonna I'm gonna cook something with it. Yeah. So uh I feel like giving something away, do you? Yeah, let's give away some loot. What do we got? Well, we got a signed copy of the book Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry who doctor. I just mentioned. Yep. This is just a great book, and I'm doing the audio version of this, of course, as I've said before. It's just a great book because he talks about conventional wisdom mm. and then how his clinical experience challenged that conventional wisdom. Right. And that led him to do research, and the research disproved it. <laughs> and so, therefore, he calls them medical lies, but of course, they're just... You know non-truisms mm. that uh, people just promote right. without thinking about it for no pr- apparent reason mm. so it's a great uh, evidence-based book about the things you think about uh, health are mostly wrong yeah you, you realize <laughs> that very soon
1: you will have finished uh, doing the audiobook and you will be the you'll be the narrator and you're gonna have to stop calling it a great book <laughs> because yeah thats because right. you're involved <laughs> in it yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'll do, that's I'll, right. If you're listening yeah. to this in the next, you know, probably in the summertime, you're going to be able to go to audible.com nice. or Amazon and, and hear just Carl order it. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's it. We're going to give away a signed copy right now. So who's our winner? Today's winner is April Edberg. Congratulations, April. And April was picked at random from all the people who signed up currently for the Two Keto Dude's fan club. And if you don't know what that is, you can go to fanclub2 answer just a few questions, and then you're signed up. And, uh, you know, we send out newsletters periodically, and we also pick a winner uh, every week for something. Right now, we're giving away copies, signed copies of Lies My Doctor Told Me. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can always buy
1: some uh, online at gear2
0: all right, then, before we bring on your uh, interview with Professor Sikaris, we need to read some... Mail! Mail! Mail. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you get it. You get it. You get the last word. Go ahead. I've already got it. <laughs> so, who have you got, Cal? Carl. All right. Well, I'm going to read an entry from the great big public keto before and after thread that we started on the ketogenic forums. We have other threads on the forums, mm-hmm. but they're private. Right. And we wanted to start a thread where people knew that when they publish their stories here, they'd be public. Mm. You know, they're, they're going to be shared. They're going to be read. And uh, therefore, you know, if you have pictures that you don't want, don't put them up there. Uh, Or put a watermark on them.
1: Yeah, but the good thing about this is that uh, having your uh, stories go public gives people motivation, gives them incentive, and it lets other people know what can be done with the ketogenic diet. Because, uh, you know, there's nothing quite like seeing a before and after photo and realizing what a difference it's made to a person's life.
0: And there's even more nothing like seeing 100 before and after <laughs> right. photos exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all in <Yeah>. one sitting. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's funny. You know, the likelihood of most people losing weight and keeping it off uh, for more than six months is extremely low. It's like something like five, 5% five of all people who ever died ever managed to right. keep the weight off after six months. We have yep. hundreds of people on the ketogenic forums who've done it. It's just yep. incredible.
0: And so far, there's 173 messages <laughs> as of this recording on this thread. Wow. So, this one is from Raj, and Raj, he's from New Jersey. Yeah, I know Raj. Yeah, he came up to the first Keto Mini Fest mm. that we did back in April Yeah, in New London, and he came up, he says, I want to help, I want to chop vegetables or do whatever, I, whatever you need me to, and he did. Now, so Raj is 85 pounds down mm. and off all medication. So, I'm going to read his entry. You got to go see his pictures to believe it, but here he goes. Here's his backstory. He says... I'm 54 years old, 5'8", 250 pounds. I was 297, diabetic, hypertensive, and on my way to an early cremation. Mm. By the way, roger <laughs> has got a great sense of humor yeah. and a great voice. <laughs> like, you know, if there was ever uh, if there was ever the voice, that you know, like a podcaster voice, he's got a great voice. Yeah,
1: he's got a deep basso voice, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. Deep voice. So he says, in January 2017, my endocrinologist gave me a heads up. Even though I had lost 20 pounds with diet and exercise, my A1c was sticking at 7.4 to 7.7. He told me that I was heading towards insulin and that it was an inevitable and natural evolution of my deadly progressive disease. Insulin shots would have destroyed my newly chosen profession as a commercial pilot. So I decided to hit it harder at the gym and cut out desserts and reduced breads. I believed that I could help my blood glucose spikes by burying my carbs with protein. Common scenario, yeah. right? I fought hard and lost another 20 pounds using CRAP. Crap. Calorie <laughs> restriction as primary.
1: That's Jason <laughs> Fungus' term
0: for it. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: Calories in, calories out, otherwise no known as.
0: Yeah. Surprisingly, my diabetes did not properly respond. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a breakfast as soon as I woke up to help lower my fasting blood glucose levels. Mm. I was not skipping any meals because that would mean too big a meal and spiking sugars. Mm. I was doing all the things that the establishment told me I had to do to help my diabetes. The lack of response was striking. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, having lost 40 pounds from peak, I was going on vacation October 17 to visit family. And I decided I would stop breads, rice, etc. altogether so as not to gain back the hard-fought weight loss. While I didn't gain or lose weight... I did find I could not eat or overeat as I used to be able to do.
1: Now, it's worth mentioning that Raj is Indian, so going off rice is a big deal, and breads as well.
0: Absolutely. Culturally, that's very
1: difficult. Yeah, that's not not easy culturally, yeah.
0: Yeah. I started feeling bloated all the time and just naturally started skipping meals and eating less. Now, when he says bloated, he he does mean full, Mm, right? Sure. And this is something that, you know, people usually don't feel good when they're bloated because of carbohydrates, but it's a totally different bloating than he's talking about. Mm. Yeah. I went on a quest and found, drum roll, (laughs) the two keto dudes. That's us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Halloween, October 31st, 2017, I went keto at 255 pounds and with an A1C of 7.4. That's diabetic. Yep. That's where I was, 7.4. I stopped taking the statin. In two weeks, I was reducing diabetes medications. In four weeks, I eliminated all medications except metformin and a blood pressure pill. Two and a half months later, January 23rd, 2018, I had an A1C of six. And in consult with my doctor, stopped taking all medications. Well done. Yeah. Yes, two and a half months of keto reversed all the markers of my physical ailments. Mental aside. (laughs) Bonus. I had lost another 45 pounds and was down to 212, 85 pounds off my peak. Yeah. Yeah. I had just discovered the documentary on fasting on Amazon and found the Jedis of fasting, Fung and Ramos. Since January, I've been on an aggressive feasting fasting cycle. I have feasted 72 of the last 150 days, fasted 43 I did in slugs of one and a half, two, three, four, five, six, and seven days. Yep, change it up. Yeah, changing it up. The goal was to up my caloric intake on feasting days to raise the BMR set point, mm-hmm. the basal metabolic rate. That's, that's right. your calorie expenditure. Yep. I took no measurements of BMR, but I'm quite certain my BMR has gone up. I feel juiced all the time, <laughs> fasted or not. Excellent. <laughs> I have lost no scale weight. Now, listen up, children. Mm -hmm. I have lost (laughs) no scale weight. In fact, as of yesterday, I'm 220 pounds, (laughs) up eight pounds from my low. However, (laughs) I have lost a ton of central adiposity. That means belly fat. Belly fat, yeah. (laughs) My pants have gone from 40 to 42 waist to 36 waist. The body has trimmed itself all over. Even my shoes are looser. (laughs) I sleep better. I snore less. I can eat or not eat anytime. I am in full control. Booyah! (laughs) My A1C 5.9. Okay, drop the mic. (laughs) Mic drop. My endocrinologist graduated me from his practice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well done, Raj. Well well done. done. (laughs) This is a story that plays itself out over and over and over again. If you go to success dot ketocom you don't have to sign up for the forum. That'll take you right to the page where you can see all these see the pictures stuff, and read yeah. all these stories. Yeah.
1: It's funny, you know, that the, the standard of care is to medicate a diabetic to 7.0. Yeah. And at that point, we're only going to get worse. If, we, if yeah. you medicate somebody to 7.0, or even if they somehow find a dietary solution that'll get them to 7.0, they're still going to only get sicker the more time goes on. You have to get them That's below right. that. You have to get them below sort of 6.0.
0: And you see what happened with Raj. He yeah. was fat adapted yeah. and then magic started happening. He's in full control. And and I just want to re-highlight his fasting efforts have not resulted in weight loss, maybe even weight gain, mm. but he's lost inches. His body is turning into a mostly fat body to a mostly lean body. Isn't that interesting? That's outstanding. Yeah,
1: well done, Rush. Yeah, well done. So, uh, what do you got, Richard? So, mine's more of a tip. It's also from the ketogenic forum, and this is from one of our regulars called Cat and Bob. And Captain. this is in response to somebody saying that they no longer keep blue diamond almonds around because I would always eat too many of them, and almonds yeah. aren't even all that good a choice for us keto nuts. Um, yeah, almonds aren't too bad. You know, there they are worse, but yeah, pecans are better, and macadamias are even better. But
0: and pecans are delicious. They
1: are, they're all delicious. Oh my god, nuts are just good. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Captain Bob says um, that he has the same issue with with nuts. He says the recommended serving for any addictive food is one box or bag or whatever it came in <laughs> you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what Captain Bob does is he takes this box of, of almonds which which has uh, more, more nuts that he wants to take into one serving and he splits mm. them into ziploc baggies and into the serving size that he wants to limit himself to and then he, yeah. you know if he if what he'll do is he'll take um what just one ziploc bag with just his serving size of nuts into the into yeah. the living room watch his TV while he you know while he snacks um, and that way he limits himself to uh, just a small amount so uh, that's a very Pretty good smart. technique yeah and it's it's the same for like school lunches and yeah you know, all these kinds of things it's it's a it's a really appropriate way because if you have, let's say, you go out and you buy a kilogram of macadamia nuts. If you just have a kilogram of macadamia nuts in a bag, that bag, <laughs> <laughs> the, the level in that it's bag gone, is going to slowly son. drop. As yeah, <laughs> you know. whereas if you then split it all into bags and um, you know into ziploc baggies, and maybe you freeze the mm. ones you're not going to eat immediately, so you know you, right. you've got to then thaw them. It 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 sort of like uh, slows things down a little bit, which uh, I think that I, th- I think it's a good tip. Yeah, good
0: tip. Thanks, Captain Bob. Awesome. Thanks, Captain. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's roll the uh, interview that you did with Professor Ken Sakaris while in Perth.
1: So I'm here uh, in Perth with uh, Professor Ken Sakaris. Uh, We've just been to the Low Carb Perth Conference where he gave us a presentation in Cholesterol, yes. <laughs> and another lipids. another one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, your presentations on YouTube have been fantastic. Yeah, Thanks. Thanks. Well, when people go low carb, when they first do, the the first thing that um, their GPs and their friends and their family will tell them is, you know, you eat so much fat, you're going to uh, give yourself a heart attack. And yes, you know, it's a relief to see somebody explain. The entire um, process, as much yes. as can be explained in a YouTube presentation. Yeah,
2: well, I get a lot of calls from doctors and from patients about this issue, about their cholesterol rising. Yeah. And I have to admit, when I first um, looked into it, I, I do expect cholesterol to rise mm. on a on a high fat diet. Yeah, and um, some people might fall, but it's just by chance, really. Mm. Most right. people rise, and some people rise significantly. And um, you know, and Dave Dave Feldman's on the right. Track right. that he's saying that you know you're really changing fat p- transport, yeah, and that's what your that
1: cholesterol is reflecting, sure, yeah, yeah, it's like a marker for fat being yeah. transited around the body. And
2: yeah. rather than, um, you know, most doctors and patients being reassured by the significant increases in HDL cholesterol as right. a proportion of that r- cholesterol rise, the, yeah. the HDL or the good cholesterol rise, mm-hmm. they focus on. The LDL or the the so-called bad cholesterol. right yes. and, um, and that's where most of their knowledge has stopped, that LDL is bad. So, therefore, any increase, whether or not it's offset by HDL rise, is mm. bad.
1: Yeah. And it's that- remarkable because we tend to be fixated on cholesterol as being the demon. And yes. Is it because we've just got drugs that can, can knock it on the head? Is that?
2: No. I mean, I, I think... Th- you know, you look back with hindsight, and you mm. think, you know, how, how could they think cholesterol? No, I mean, plaque is full of cholesterol, and um, and you know, apart from the confusion that Keyes created, uh, saturated fats increase cholesterol. There was that was true. You right. know, there's cholesterol in plaque. Saturated fats increase cholesterol. Well, you know, a, a very simple view of the world would be that. Yeah. Saturated fats increase cholesterol and ends up in plaque, yeah. but that is completely naive, especially by today's knowledge. Right. So, what do saturated fats? How, how do they affect the system? So, um, by increasing, you know, in fat adaption, mm. when you when you're fat adapted, you've got an increase in transport of fatty acids right. and the and the. Particles. I mean, there's fatty acids in the blood, mm-hmm. but essentially triglycerides are transported by this VLDL molecule, yeah. particularly out of the liver, mm-hmm. and then um, and that VLDL's molecule's job is to distribute fat, triglyceride, right. energy, energy. That's because mm. that's what you've switched on, mm. and that's yeah. why the the triglycerides, you know were high before you were you were distributing it mm. but not using it. Right, yeah. Whereas now with a high fat diet you're distributing it and using it so the triglycerides are low. Yeah. But the truck, yeah. <laughs> I think Dave talks about boats
1: now he but does He's <laughs> on the boats now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the the I say trucks. The mm. trucks which have offloaded their triglyceride mm. they can go back to the liver and most people it goes back to the liver um Fairly quickly, mm. but some people it hangs around longer. Right, and um, and you know, as long as it's not becoming small and dense, it's sort of just accumulating and reflecting this high traffic flow. Mm. Then it's it's a it's a so the VLDL becomes LDL, mm-hmm. yeah. and therefore the high VLDL transport becomes a high LDL level, mm-hmm. and that LDL level will go back to the liver.
1: Right. And as long and as it goes back uh, benign and large. That's right.
2: That's how the body's yeah, built. That's right. what it was built for. Yeah, that so was, you know. You're built to
1: have LDL,
2: <laughs> LDL. You're built to have L- VLDL to transport fat. Yep. And LDL is the end product of that. Mm-hmm. And LDL hangs around a little bit longer, I think, uh, to distribute cholesterol to right. tissues that can't make it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, but it hangs around for days, you mm. know, on, on average. And, um, and then it goes back to the liver. And that's the and and that's completely natural. This large buoyant LDL, mm. which you know, people in their eighties can have a cholesterol of eight with right. large buoyant LDL, and they don't have heart
1: attacks, right? So you <laughs> yeah. know, like it's it's a natural thing. S- so so what in a standard lipid panel um, is related to cardiovascular disease?
2: Now, it's a when we look at what predicts risk. Mm. It's a whole lot of ratios, right. mathematical ratios. Mm-hmm. My favourite is the total cholesterol HDL ratio. Okay. But a lot of the carb community thinking of the trig to HDL ratio. Sure. But it's a ratio of two numbers. Mm. Now, it's a mathematical truth that mm. they reflect cardiovascular risk, mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that those parameters are anything but surrogate markers of a process. Right. It's not that... When when you've got this number, the number doesn't float around and kill you. It's <laughs> reflecting something that's happening, yeah. and the thing that it's reflecting that's happening is the lack of triglyceride transport. Right. So when patients aren't fat adapted, mm-hmm. and the liver makes triglycerides and is making it out of sugar, sure, um, it floats around in the blood, but the tissues aren't interested in it. Mm. Exactly. Because they're not using it. They're not using it. And so it floats around in the blood and now this VLDL transport mechanism for triglyceride is broken. Like right. it's these trucks are hanging around. Who wants our triglyceride? Even, even fat cells aren't buying any. No, no. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're busy using glycogen. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. I mean, fat adaption is a huge thing. I mean, normally if you're not fat adapted, muscles using 80% carbs as fuel. Right. When you're fat adapted, it switches the other way around. Remarkable. So it, it's an incredible process. it's mm. a little bit, it can be a bit painful to get into fat adaption yeah. but once yeah. you're there it's it, you've completely changed metabolism. So so if the triglycerides aren't being taken up, then VLDL takes longer to release its load right and the, the fact that there's all these triglyceride rich particles floating around in the blood means that even the LDL particle changes mm. and can't get back to the liver. When right. it should do. Right. And it hangs around in the circulation twice as long as it should do and it becomes hard and dense.
1: Yeah. And it's got more opportunity for mischief as well.
2: For, absolutely. Oxidation. So, and very much like, you know, a truck that's out on the road and mm-hmm. you haven't cleaned it, it'll start to rust, yeah. oxidation. Yeah. And, um, you know, it'll start sticking all sorts of rubbish like glucose, mm-hmm. glycated. Yeah, for sure. Great and analogy. that makes it yeah. even more rubbishy. Not yeah. only is it small and dense, but yeah. it's got all this damage. They're sticky. <laughs> And that stuff mm. can only be cleared by the clearance system of the immune system with the right. macrophages. Right, and this is in the wall of the arteries. So, Well, it, it would occur everywhere. So people with um, problems returning their LDL mm. to the blood, they can also have skin lesions. Like okay. they have in familial hypercholesterolemia where yeah. they have a genetic problem returning LDL. Yeah. They have thickened tendons and they have like little... Um, cholesterol blisters under their, under eyes. their eyes yeah so I've it's not that, just yeah. in the blood vessel wall mm. it's all over the body right and so but but you know the damaging part is in the blood vessel wall because it's interfering with blood transport and oxygen transport it
1: weakens a high pressure system yes and and, and, and once the, you
2: know the and as people um you know say that It'll narrow the artery. Mm. The cholesterol accumulation will narrow the artery and that means less oxygen can get through and people can get angina. Sure. But the worst thing is that that narrowed artery has incredible turbulence mm. and that turbulence damages the, the blood vessel lining right. and it means that um, not only that, that altered party will get into the blood vessel wall, mm. where the macrophages are there to mop it up, and that's when the, how the cholesterol starts to accumulate even worse. And then you know the the wall becomes fragile and and can break down, and and then a clot forms. Mm. So there's a narrowed thing, but then a clot forms in that narrowness. Yeah. Now it's completely obstructed. That's yeah. a heart attack, yes, rather than angina. Right. If it um, happens in the wrong place, it's yes. deadly. Yeah. And one of the promising things, even it now statins, which mm-hmm. you know have, have they, they are overutilized, but mm. they do work. Yeah. Whether the, whether it's a you know a subtle increase in they do work. So how do they work? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Well, they 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 lower cholesterol. Yes. Mm-hmm. They lower LDL cholesterol. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. They particularly lower small dense LDL. They clear. <laughs> they prevent this ldl particle become hanging around for too long and becoming small yeah so it actually you know it acts on the liver ldl clearance that's right it acts on the liver to improve Mm. that receptor based Hmm. clearance wow do they know the mechanism for that well they do because um statins obstruct cholesterol production right and so so the the liver you know thinks well i have to my job is to transport cholesterol around the body that's what it's trying to do. That's why it makes all this cholesterol so that it can be transported as VLDL and then Mm -hmm. as LDL. So, so you know, it can repackage it so it'll take it back as LDL and repackage it with some triglycerides and send it out again like a fresh load of triglyceride and LDL. Recycled. (laughs) Recycled And that recycling
1: occurs faster when you're on a statin. Which makes sense if, the, if there's some part of the mechanism that can recognize, hey, we can't make this stuff. We're yeah. being this yeah. enzyme. Uh, this enzyme enzyme is being inhibited. And yes. We just can't produce any more of yeah. it. We're just going to have to go back in and recycle the stuff. and yeah, make, make sure that it all
2: out. Make sure that it's constantly available. Yeah, yeah, that
1: makes a lot of sense because I, I I I'm aware of the biochemical pathways. Yeah, there's like five things that there's CoQ10 and there's yes. uh, vitamin K and yeah. there's there's a lot of things that are really no. kind of important to us. That's that right. Being and, inhibited and, people,
2: and you know people do have their own set level for cholesterol. Yeah. Right. I mean people focus on the number that's on the report. So yeah. so in the Australian figures you might say five point five is the risk level for total cholesterol. Yeah. But the range for healthy people is like three point eight or three point five to seven point five. <laughs> really? Like it's a yeah. huge range. Yeah. And people think when they've got a cholesterol of seven yeah. well, you must have some dastardly disease or right.
1: but that's what common
2: people commonly have. Yeah. And it's their set point.
1: Yeah. I know my set my set points sort of. It's it got to the point where I, I mean I have I have a set point around about two hundred milligrams per deciliter in, in US terms, yes, yes. and and it floated around there, but it just got just a little bit too high, and that it triggered a threshold where every every. Physician I went to said you should be on a statin, yes. and so I went on a statin. And it and but yes. you know people who listen to this podcast are well aware of my, my statin story. But yeah. but the, in, to cut a long story short, I became extremely diabetic. I, my glucose went to, to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. But my LDL, as advertised, half ninety six. <laughs> and yeah. you know if you were just looking at LDL yeah. as, an, as a sole biomarker. Yeah you'd be happy that'd be a happy yeah and outcome. it's
2: and it's a it's a good outcome because you've reduced your small dense ldl by improving this cycling right. and it does reduce your your risk whether it's high or low it yeah. reduces your risk you know by 20 or 30%. So it does work, but the issue is it reduces the small dense LDL. Mm. It doesn't get rid of the underlying mechanism that's <laughs> <are> generating <laughs> right. the small
1: dense LDL. No, no it's a symptomatic treatment.
2: <laughs> it is. It's which, a band-aid. Which,
1: uh, I don't know why, but for some reason in the medical profession, symptomatic treatment used to be a pejorative yes. until about the 70s, and then it just sort of disappeared. Yeah, but if that's
2: the only treatment you've got, so right. th- as in most doctors' eyes who aren't aware of the dietary yeah. manipulations that are possible, mm. that's the only thing they've got Ah, so that's why they hang on to it so Mm. so desperately right because they aren't aware of an alternative Mm. and and to be honest you know personally i think that if somebody had a high risk you know Mm -hmm. bad family history or they've already had a heart attack and they're on a statin i would say don't come off it because Mm. it's doing something good don't come off
1: it until you've reached those goals with your diet yeah and maybe supplement CoQ10 and the other things that, you know, if you could take the statin Do, for that yeah. purpose and, yes. and supplement the things that yeah. it's also preventing you from making. Yeah.
2: but ideally you don't want to live on a tablet for the rest of your life. You no. want to get rid of the underlying cause rather than treat the, the side effect of you know, one of the, the... I mean, it is it is helping, but it's not treating the underlying problem. No.
1: So I, I know with the small-dense LDL, the, the the lab in Australia... That we get this done at Sydney Adventist Hospital. Yes, and I get my I send mine because in Australia apparently Medicare will pay if your if your total cholesterol is above six, Medicare will pay for a six monthly um, lipoprotein subfraction analysis. Right, Uh, they pay for
2: a lipoprotein electrophoresis, which is which is meant to pick up this remnant cholesterol thing. Yeah, and but you know we this is the same mechanism, so we Mm. can say well we weren't specifically looking for the intermediate density. We were actually looking for small, small dense, dense. <laughs> but <laughs> I you didn't can know get. Yeah. So it might cost say eighty dollars to do, yeah. which the government give you thirty dollars back for some other underlying purpose. And sure. so there's but there there is an important difference in Australia and America. So in mm-hmm. Australia we measure small dense LDL L by the small Yes, we measure the size. Yeah,
1: we bin we bin them into different categories. Yes, right?
2: but it's by size, so small dense LDL. Gotcha. So it's small, but there's other ways of measuring it by density. Gotcha. So um, so NMR methods and ultra centrifugation methods measure density. So there is a little bit of a trick um, there because a patient with uh, there's a form of ldl called lp little a mm, yes. and it's like ldl with a tail on it the apoa yes. protein yeah. and the, otherwise the ldl mm. is the same as the one without the tail in that person they've right. got they've got ldl without the tail and ldl with the tail sure now if they've got small dense ldl mm-hmm. they'll have small dense ldl with, with the, the tail, tail. <laughs> okay now but when you're measuring the size yeah the small dense LDL with the tail looks bigger because it's got a tail on it. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a little bit of a That's a nuance. Yes, yeah, yeah. a nuance. So patients with delay mm. measuring small dense LDL by size can be misleading. Yeah. But measuring by density is Would not misleading. Yeah. And that's and you know, that's one subtle reason why I don't generally promote that small dense LDL because there can be artifacts there. mm you really want to look at the underlying reason why there's small dense LDL, <laughs> right. which is related to triglycerides. Yeah. Now, um, people have watched my podcasts. As sort of, I do point out that triglycerides are the underlying cause. This right. blockage in fat metabolism. Yeah. But all of the predictors like we talked uh, the total cholesterol hdl ratio that mm-hmm. hasn't got triglycerides in it no you don't even measure triglycerides <laughs> no. to calculate that ratio no. so how can this ratio which doesn't include triglyceride yeah. predict what's happening with small dense ldl yeah. you know, so there's a paradox in what i'm saying
1: yeah but unless unless it's reflecting at the underlying cause that's causing the triglycerides it to is. be elevated and it's the
2: same the same mechanism that cause that we're triglycerides make LDL small right. is the same mechanism where triglycerides drop HDL. Mm. It's yes. exactly the same mechanism called cholesterol is the transport protein. Right. And so in a way, and I... And because triglycerides are so variable from day to day, people don't realize it because even on a low-carb diet, you might say, I'm 0.6 one day and 0.9 the next. And you think, well, that's not much of a difference. Mm. That's a 50% difference. I know. If your ratio jumped by 50%, you'd be... And that's what happens. Yeah. So triglycerides are a bad, a very variable number. And so they're... You know, even though that's the cause, it varies so much from hour to hour, let alone day to day. Whereas HDL, you'll find people, you know, that it shifts very slowly. Right. If you're 0.9 today, you won't be far from 0.9 tomorrow. Sure, sure. And so if you want to look at this mechanism that creates small dense LDL, yeah. the HDL is a better indicator because it's, it's a more stable it's a, indicator. It's a
1: more slow-moving indicator, yeah.
2: And it's not only that, but it's the... It's it's an exponential indicator, and the res, the res, for the mathematicians in yeah. there the reciprocal of HDL has this hyperbolic relationship to right. risk.
1: So it's a log it's a log relationship. Yes. So you could do one and on so log It HDL. reflects
2: the true exponential relationship between falling HDL mm. and this in rapidly increasing risk, wow. rather than a linear increase in yeah. risk. Wow. And so that's why everybody finds – and that's why in the past they thought triglycerides, well, that's a useless predictor. Yeah. And that's why they probably threw it out as yeah. an underlying mechanism because they think oh, – It's exponential. I was yeah. there. I mean, I was there <laughs> 30 years ago and we right. sort of said, don't worry about the triglyceride, yeah. it's all the
1: LDL. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's surprising to me actually that – in Australia, all of this is measured by the Sydney Adventist Hospital. I thought these guys were like the antithesis of yes. the low-carb crowd. Look, and there's... How did I
2: mean, that happen? <laughs> look, they're not... not—they're not. I mean, they are sort of, um, you know, serial-focused, carb-focused. Yeah. But th- they're not doing that out of a deception. That's what their true belief is. Right, yeah, that's true. And they're very interested in preventing heart disease. Yeah. And so the cardiologists at that hospital said... We've, they've read the work of, mm. um, you know, Graven and Krause, Krause yeah. and everyone, mm. and they said, well, this is an important thing to measure. So they insisted on setting it up in good the up, hospital. Good it? And they used it in their studies. And I don't know how the studies went, probably not too oh, well. Not too good, <laughs> yeah. But um, the assay was still there, mm. and the people saw that it craved this, you know, conflicting information, which was of importance, so they kept the assay going. Right. And, um, and they really kept it going at cost. Yeah, And that's so wonderful. It's a it wonderful is. service and, yes. and I've used
1: it and it's been uh, beneficial to me because I can see exactly, you know, yeah. I, I could see my, my, my small dents. It was high when I first started and it dropped once I was on a low-carb diet. So, yeah. yeah, that was good for me.
2: Yeah, I mean the ratio, if you've got a very good ratio or say mm-hmm. your your trigs are always 0.5, mm-hmm. Well, spending the money is just so you can show off, here's my small dense LDL level. Look yeah. at it, how it's good it is. Chart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, chart, uh, But, you know, and similarly, if your triglycerides are way high, yeah, you know it's there's hardly, if you want to shock the person into doing something, because look at all this red on the graph, then it's a good motivator. So really, it's all around sort of patient engagement, measuring this thing, because we've really got a pretty good idea by the ratios, the HDL ratios, whether
1: you're likely to have it present. Yeah. So how did you get involved in the the low-carb stuff in the first place? Because it seems strange for a lipidologist.
2: Yeah. Well, Rod Taylor, (laughs) who runs Low Carb Down Under, Mm. he first... Put me in touch with uh, Melbourne Paleo Group. Okay, yep, and the yep. Paleo Group came to me and they said uh, we're interested in the microbiome. Yeah, could you explain <laughs> no it to me? And I said, well, I'm a chemical pathologist, yeah. Yeah. and I don't think anybody understands no, the microbiome it, no. yet. And they said to me, but you know, but we're just you know um, computer people, and we mm. don't understand anything about it. You, so you'll be able to understand more than me. <laughs> and so I said, um, okay, well, I'll look into it and right. give you a little talk. Yeah. So we've invited the group back. They were supposed to have 20 or 30 people mm. and I was going to give this lecture and only about 5 or 10 turned up. It was Saturday morning. They must right. have had a lot of stuff on and they were very apologetic about mm. it and um, and they said to me, oh, look, we, do you mind if we record it mm. and then we can give it to the people who haven't turned up? And I said, yeah, that's fine because I wasn't very social media aware <laughs> at the time. Yeah. So they said, And then they later said, the easiest way for us to distribute it is by YouTube. And right. I thought, yeah, that sounds, sounds a good, good idea. <laughs> and So I didn't know. And and a, f- a few months later, I was a bit shocked when I looked at the YouTube and twenty thousand people it wow. because <laughs> it was not what hit. I meant <laughs> to do. And yeah. then suddenly, other people started hearing mm. about somebody who you know could explain pathology, and including um, Damon Gamma, the sugar yes, film. Yes, so yes. he saw that and he said, "I want he this dressed guy you up as Dracula. Yeah, he dressed me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never. Check the uh, the contract that right. I had with that movie. <laughs> I don't know whether it was it included a cartoon caricature right. <laughs> or not. But anyway, that I mean that's done a great job, that movie. So Definitely. any embarrassment that I feel is what a well, well, well paid. Well <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and it's just built from from that. I mean I have uh, I've tried to dumb down what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not still having mastered that because it's there's a lot of
1: technical stuff there. But um, well, our audience really appreciates it when you do go a little bit technical because yeah. I do it often in the podcast and, and, and one of the most common comments that I get from people is, we love it how you'd go technical. Okay, yes. I'll do, I'll do yes. that more often. Yeah. So.
2: Well, you try to give a bit of both. Mm. So yes. give a little bit of a, you know, transport of trucks and boats yes. explanation yeah. for people that don't want to think in these abstract terms and then you, um, you know, let in a bit of the mm. new the new stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I heard that your daughter was, um, was yes. diabetic. Yes. Right? And so, that, that was sort of what got you looking in and researching into. Well, that's, diet.
2: that sort of left me primed for low mm. carb because, yeah. um, you know, type 1 diabetics are counting carbs. Yeah. According to the current mechanism, you, you know how many grams of carbs on everything you eat. Yeah. And the parents, because yeah. Louisa was only 10 when she got the right. um, disease, and... The parents have to learn it as well. Yeah. So as soon as – Robert Lustig came to Australia in 2007 and right. told us about sugar and fatty yeah. liver and so on. And, you know, a couple of years later, Louisa gets that and we and I'm sort of appreciating how much sugar is in all these foods that she's right. eating and, and starch. If, and
1: you had probably had your, her glucometer and so you were watching yeah. her well, perturbations we had, on yeah, her.
2: Yeah, we, well, because she's the daughter of a – you know, specialist in <laughs> med. She was like in every research yeah, trial of <laughs> and one of the first to go on pumps and nice. meters and yeah. everything. So, so um, yeah, so so I was already primed to understanding. And, and really with Louisa, we also mm. knew how resistance could change with oh, the yeah, higher yeah. carb she has, yeah. the more resistant she became, the more insulin yeah. she required. Right. And the, so it was all making perfect sense yeah. when you know, we started getting into the low carb and thinking, well, this is, and, you know, as we heard during the day today, mm. you know, it, it makes such perfect sense for the type 1 diabetic.
1: Yes. Yes, it was actually a very type 1 diabetic heavy day today. Was, yes. I, I enjoyed that for for one because I, I hear a lot about type 2 diabetics because yeah. obviously that's 90% of all diabetes, yeah. but um, yeah, it was.
2: Look, to a degree, you know, um, people don't have a lot of sympathy for people who are overweight, obese or type 2. They're, That's true. They're still with this attitude, oh, it your fault rather you than the fault yourself. of the people that, whereas with a child, particularly in a disease that comes, they, they're just completely innocent. Yes. And, then, and so the issue of they're innocent and you have to help them as much as you can. Right. And so that's why it's got such a foothold in yes. in the type one community because these children deserve all of the help that they can get. Adults are sort of a little bit more independent. Mm. they sort of they should be engaged in their own health and. <laughs> yeah, but for a child, um, and if and the patterns you set up in a child, mm. the, the autonomy life, yeah. and the confidence mm. that they have in mm. taking control of their own affairs is is not only a biological thing, it's quite a, a, mm. a mental thing as yes, well. It certainly
1: is. Yes. So thank you very much for this. This has been a wonderful, pleasant chat. And <laughs> uh, I know you've got to catch a flight. You're going to Las Vegas and you're going to yes. look at, uh, you're going to go into my field, which is, you know, computer uh, knowledge-based systems. Yes, and, uh, yes, rather and than like. medical
2: disruption. I'm yeah. getting into the true digital disruption realm. <laughs> Lovely.
1: Uh, well, I enjoy that and uh, have a safe flight. And thank you very much. Thanks, Rich. Could
0: you say for wow, that was a great uh, interview. I'm, I'm really grateful that you got to to record uh, conversations with these guys while you were there. Yeah. This is invaluable stuff.
1: It seems like we're doing a lot of stuff from Perth, but we had a lot of really interesting people there. So, um, mm. you know, the uh, Ken Sakaris, I remember when his – Videos first came out about cholesterol. Uh, I was worried, but you know, my LDL went up a little bit on a ketogenic diet, um, and yep. you know, so so uh, that was a, a, a slight concern for me. But uh, you know, he explained the difference between uh, large buoyant LDL and small dense LDL, and then LDLA, yeah. and uh, you know, the difference between HDL and LDL, and and what their roles are in the body. And when mm. I when I realised that LDL is just a carrier for fat energy uh, mm. throughout the blood. Um, then you know it didn't really didn't seem like bad cholesterol anymore. You
0: know, yeah. You, when you're a fat burner, fat is your energy source. Naturally, you're going to have more transport of it. So, sure. You know, what's interesting. Is after a while of listening to lipid experts describe this natural process of lipids that you know VLDL and LDL are transport system for energy yeah. in the body. It's not. It's just not the scary ogre we thought it was. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting to hear a little more detail about how statins work. That was that was cool.
1: Yeah, that was fascinating. Great stuff. Okay, so I'm feeling a little bit peckish, you know? Puckish. Peckish. Peckish. I think peckish. it might be time for some recipes
0: Recipes.
1: Okay, what do you got, Carl?
0: Okay, well, um, this is a a real recipe I did, and I think I talked about this a little bit before on another show, but I didn't actually give the recipe. So this Mm -hmm. is a fennel seed pork chop with lemon garlic butter. Nice. And I got these pork chops at a local farm. I'm a big fan of this, kids. Go find the local farms in your area. Make friends with those farmers and uh, get good, fresh, clean meat if you can. So, these pork chops were big and had a huge fat cap on them. They were just enormous. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you've never um, seared a pork chop on the stove before, you know, cooked it in a fry pan. Sure. uh, You may not know whether it's done or not unless you stick a thermometer in it, you know. So, the best thing to do is to get an extra one that you can use as your guinea pig. Right. And time it. A sacrificial you know? pork chop. <laughs> sacrificial pork chop, mm-hmm. one that you don't mind cutting into to see if it's done or not. Right. And you might want to make those incisions in different places so that you, you still have some some chop left every time you check it. Sure. All right. Me, I've sort of just figured out by time and by feel mm. how long it takes to cook uh, a, a pork chop on the stove but that's what you're going to do you're going to get a sizzling cast iron skillet you know in other words you're going to put that cast iron skillet on high heat all right high flame high electric heat whatever get it the hottest you can don't put any oil or butter in the pan especially uh now if you have really dry meat right. and you have seasoning on the outside like a like a rub um, yeah like a rub or something that's a different story, but this is a pork chop with a lot of fat.
1: Yeah.
0: So, the only preparation I did to the meat was fennel seed, salt, and pepper. Do you grind the That's fennel it. seed
1: up or you just use this. I didn't, no. Yep. I, nice. I just
0: used the whole seed because yep. I want that pop in my mouth, yep. you know. All right. So, searing on both sides. Uh, now, I have uh, propane ranges. Mm-hmm. So, for me, it took about five minutes per side. Right. But you're, you're going to be different. All right. And you need to
1: learn that. About your equipment because your different pans are going to be different. And,
0: yeah. Exactly. And that's why you have a sacrificial pork chop. <laughs> so it's key, though, when you're searing to leave it alone. Yeah. To not move it, right? Mm-hmm. You want to get that thing in contact with the heat and leave it alone. Yeah. So after, you know, four or five minutes, flip it over. If it looks crusty and then you push it with your finger and it gives, it doesn't uh, have the give that raw meat has. That's a good sign. Yeah. Cook it on both sides until it's done, and you can tell it's done because there's no pink in the middle. All right?
1: Yeah, you don't want pork to be pink in the middle.
0: No, nope, pink pork, not good. So when it's done, what you want to do is get a room-temperature plate and move that pork chop to the plate. Nice. And just let it sit yeah. for five minutes while you make a lemon garlic butter. Yeah,
1: My theory is I if I cook it on one side for so many minutes I cook it on the other side for so many minutes I let it sit resting for the same number of minutes and you just want to make sure to do that because if what happens if you cut into it immediately
0: all the juice runs out that's it yeah yep so you want to allow it time for the juices to be reabsorbed into the meat and it'll just make it that much better yeah so the lemon garlic butter Mm. that we're going to make is from a (laughs) bermonte now bermonte we learned about it's just lifted butter it's just water and butter whisked for four or five minutes over the lowest bubbling heat that you can get. In other words, if it's rolling boil, you don't want that. If it's not bubbling at all, you don't want that. You want it on the lowest temperature right. that it bubbles at. So you just keep whisking. Just keep whisking. How much? Um, all right. A stick of butter, third of a cup of water, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yep. Melt it all together and then just keep whisking while it's, while it's bubbling. And after about four or five minutes, and yes, it's going to take four minutes, it's going to thicken up, all right? So now you can flavor this butter however you want to. What I did was I added the juice of half a lemon, Mm -hmm. the zest of an entire lemon, and about four cloves of crushed garlic.
1: So do you do this on the pan that you cook the meat in, so the fond of the pan lifts up?
0: That is, that is a great way to do it. If you have fond on the pan, you can now use that to sort of deglaze it. Mm. That's a that's a great way to do it. Um, if you also, a Bermonté, you can add to any kind of demi-glace or any kind of reductive uh, sauce made right. from stock. Stock, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you can just put the garlic and lemon... And, you know, uh, other flavors, if you want in there while it while you're whisking it, that isn't going to the garlic isn't going to burn because there's water in there. And uh, it, it's just going to make this thick, rich sauce that you can now just spoon over or pour over your pork chop. And let me tell you, kids, that's <laughs> delicious. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> nice. No, yeah. So that's what I got.
1: What do you got? So I've got a recipe that we actually had last night for dinner. And uh, what happened was we're in Costco. And uh, by the way, I should mention to Aussies who go to Costco that Costco now has shirataki noodles. Awesome. Yeah, and it's really cheap. So anyway, um, I had this uh, recipe last night. We were uh, at Costco. We we picked up some shirataki noodles. And as we were going through the meat aisle, Julie found a – Plate of uh, pork ribs. It was basically a, an entire rib section of a of a pig, and it was. And were
0: they the spare ribs or the or the baby backs?
1: They were the spare ribs. So and okay. but they had a lot of meat on them and a lot of fat on them. Yeah. And so what I did was I got an instant pot. I cut the the slab of ribs into two so that I could fit in the instant pot, and I just threw a whole bunch of things into that. Um, uh, put in some vinegar put in some uh, some smoked tomato sauce and uh, put in some spices well I'm going to actually put a link to a recipe that was very similar to the the way I cooked it but I generally don't um, I don't use recipes i I, I, I come up with the, uh, the recipe on the fly with things that I've got in the house but this recipe starts with about two pounds of uh, boneless country style pork ribs so we call them in the states right. yeah yeah this is a u.s recipe so, the way you do this recipe is you sprinkle your ribs with um, a little bit of onion, salt, some pepper, and some paprika. You can use things like fennel. Uh, you can, uh, sure. I generally grind fennel up uh, to, to, to mm-hmm. use for a rub. Um, but you don't – a lot of people t- use sugar for a rub. You don't need to use sugar. It's not necessary no, don't. for meat. It yeah. maybe makes the meat uh, – uh, uh, caramelize just a little bit more but you know you could just uh, caramelize meat very easily in it just in a hot pan you don't need sugar that's right um so um basically uh, this recipe suggests in the pressure cooker you brown the ribs in the oil so you put a little bit of canola oil uh, i wouldn't use canola oil i'd use um, no. uh no a bit of I'll lard oil. Or something, avocado or something, oil yeah or something lard, like that yeah. but um I don't like to use a pressure cooker for browning meat. I like to use a, a pan on the stove. Yeah. I have a, a propane burner, and so I can get it, crank it up, get it really hot. Um, and mm. I, with a pan, I can control everything. And I just use tongs to to move the meat around. And I don't right. generally use a little bit like Carl with his pork chops. I. If I'm going to cook pork, I don't generally need to put a lot of oil in the pan. I might put a yep. little bit of lard in, um, but some you know, if the yep. pork's very fatty, you don't even need that. So anyway, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be browning the outside of the ribs, and this just adds to the flavor. Mm. What I do is uh, I add the meat to the, the pressure cooker, and I'm going to add to it like a cup of water, three tablespoons of ketchup, and I, instead of using ketchup, I actually make smoked tomatoes. Um, uh, right. which is just I, – I use a hot smoker to, to do that. And I've got the recipe yep. on our website. We'll put it in the show notes, but it's on it's our great. blog recipe. And
0: especially for uh, ribs, you yeah. get that smoky barbecue yeah. flavor. But,
1: yeah. but you can use tomato paste. Um, you can use uh, t- uh, peeled, tinned tomatoes. You don't need a lot of them to, to be able to add the flavor. Uh, we're going to add about uh, four and a half teaspoons of white vinegar or apple cider vinegar. We're going to add yep. about a teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce and yep. a teaspoon of uh, mustard. So use a Dijon, nice Dijon mustard. And the, yep. the recipe says uh, an eighth of a teaspoon of celery seed. I actually use celery itself. I chop up celery. Yeah. Um, and what I'll do is I'll I'll get an entire stalk of celery. I'll chop mm. it up and I'll, I'll fry it up, put it into ice cube molds, and then in my freezer, I'm going to freeze them into ice cube molds. I've got cooked celery ready to go. It's like a one third of a mirror. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's pretty. You can also
0: add a little liquid smoke if you want some of that more barbecue oh, yeah. flavor. And you don't have smoked tomato.
1: That's true. You know. So in my smoke, well, see, my tomatoes already smoked. So, but you're right. A little right. bit of liquid smoke. The Worcestershire sauce also adds a little bit of that flavor as well. So, bit, yeah. yeah, so you just um, um, put it into uh, into your pressure cooker and uh, I cooked mine for about an hour. So what you're trying to do is break down the sinews and turn them into gelatin and, and basically mm-hmm. it takes about an hour, maybe sometimes an hour and a half. So after an hour, crack open the pressure cooker, uh, test the meat, make sure that it's just falling off the bone, um, yeah. pull all the bones out. And so what I did was I pulled the meat out of the, the – pressure cooker and I use a stick blender to blend up the the, the uh, sauce in the pressure cooker now yeah the recipe suggests uh, pulling off the um, the fat off the top of the of the the liquid of course we don't do that Hell you, no. Jane, no that's where the flavor <laughs> is so uh, that's- yeah yeah that's awesome. Blend it up. It'll it'll emulsify quite nicely into all the liquid I- sure. ingredients and so uh, so that's my recipe. It's a fairly simple one. Um it's essentially just uh brown meat off, put it in pressure cooker, add a bunch of things that you think might taste well with that meat and cook it for about <laughs> an hour. If it still needs yeah. cooking, put cook it for another half an hour. That's
0: it. I hate rocket surgery people. No, no, you just try a few things and whatever works, you do it again, That's it. Right?
1: But, but tonight we ate that and it was delicious, so uh, that's my recipe. Awesome.
0: Mm. Well, that's a show. What a great show. Thanks to Ken Sakaris for uh, speaking to Richard down in Perth. Yeah. And thank you for listening.
1: Yeah, of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send them my email to dudes at 2 or we'll post it on our website.
0: And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and Instagram at 2keto dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag 2keto dudes. And of course,
1: if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum2 And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success2
0: Absolutely, and if useless swag is your fancy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with our mugs on it, head over to gear2 And if you want a shot at getting some of that
1: swag for free join the 2 Keto Dudes Fan Club You'll be eligible to win something in every show Go to fanclub2
0: And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce including 2 Keto Dudes Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall, Keto Families, Keto Kids, and the Obesity Code podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com.
1: Or just hit the donate button on our website at www2 or just go to donate.2keto.com.
0: And you can also see all of our podcasts and other videos like Carl's Keto Kitchen on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com and check out my videos at carlsketokitchen.com.
1: And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do.
0: Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can. Yeah, keep calm,
1: keto on, Carl, and keto fest at least once a year.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes.